Everybody pay attention to me. Chop, chop, what, what? It is me, the Prince of Wales. Oh, what have you done now? Why are we paying attention to you? I've come to stake my claim to the Regency. Oh, I, I mean... On what grounds? At, at, at the point at which a lot of people are jumping ship, sure, seems like a good time. There's a gap. His Royal Highness the Father has fallen ill with a malady and it falls to me to lead the realm as King Regent Prince Regent of the United Kingdom and Hanover. Well, I mean, can you still do that considering you're now, yeah, you're, a, you're an American now, you can't, you can't be a British one no more. Stage directions say... Prince George gasps at the revelation and disappears in a cloud of pink smoke. So we can't do that bit. I'm writing a sitcom. I'm writing a sitcom on the Regency crisis, everyone. The very, the very relevant Regency crisis. Yeah, well, I watched Hamilton, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, I, I had mm-hmm. guessed from King George. And it got me, no, no, Prince George, you see? Prince, uh, Prince George, sorry. Oh, Prince George. His fat, round, soft, indolent son. I've been thinking about, like... Regency era Britain, which I've always liked because I'm a huge fan of Blackadder the Third, and then I rewatched Blackadder the Third, and I've been doing a lot of reading on history, and then I read about Charles James Fox, who is a politician who interests me, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, there should be a situation comedy about Charles James Fox and King George the Third, and then I would play Prince George. Ooh, fancy! The fat, round, soft, indolent regent <laughs> to the untrained eye and ear. These past few weeks may look as if I'm unraveling. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I think you're being raveled the most you've ever been. I've never been more raveled. You're re-raveling. Yeah, like, like, so here's the thing, okay. I am very, very tired and very, very angry for reasons we've talked about on this podcast and we'll talk about on this podcast today. I'm s- <sighs> we don't want to have to do it. We apologize in advance for the fact that we have been placed in this position where we have to do this. Yeah, I thought, you know, to make up for it, it'll be fun for all the listeners if I pretended to be the Prince Regent. I went out of my way this week to play nice, happy... Oh, oh, planes yeah. going overhead. I played nice, happy, sweet, colourful video oh, games. Yeah this week because I fully intended to have a nice joyful episode mm-hmm. I was going to talk I mean I still will but I was looking forward to mostly talking about Ghost of Tsushima a good game that was fun for me to play yeah. so that would have been nice instead instead <laughs> I've I've got a fucking Regency crisis to deal with yeah <laughs> yeah. like I'm, I'm excited to talk about Ooblets and Paper Mario but we've got to finish our dinner before we can have our dessert and again, we're very sorry about that. And Parliament won't clear my debts. Oh no! I'll never be able to afford another night at the Hellfire Club now. <laughs> sorry, I keep forgetting that I'm not Prince George. <laughs> it's very easy to forget that you're not Prince George. I'm, I'm not unraveling. I'm not unraveling. I occasionally <laughs> believe myself to be the Prince of Wales, <laughs> Regent of United Kingdom and Hanover. But um, no, I'm. I'll be honest, um, I've been on new medication for my brain for a couple weeks, and if I'm perfectly honest with you, I feel like I am on fire again in a good way, not in a bad way. Um, I feel like I've been very um, riddled and held back 
past couple of years because I went into a real sort of, you know, if you've had multiple mental illnesses undiagnosed for 36 years, mm-hmm. eventually you're going to hit a bit of a rut. And finally getting that sorted out and getting on some medication and sort of knowing what's wrong um, has allowed me, I mean, people have seen the past few Jimquisitions and, and whatnot. Well, I mean, yeah, and the response that I see to them has been on another level. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've, since about three, four weeks ago, the amount of um, mail I've received is, it's literally overwhelming. Like, I'm overwhelmed by correspondence anyway because of various aforementioned illnesses, but... And I don't mean to say this is in a bad way. Like, I am reading every single email and message I've been sent these past few weeks, and they've been so supportive and great. Some of them about the diagnosis, some are just about the toll that the, the past few weeks um, covering this stuff has taken on on most people who are, you know, covering it, especially, you know, if it dredges stuff up for them. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tiring couple of weeks. It's been a very, yeah, very tiring couple of weeks. Yeah. These last couple of weeks, I've been, like... I feel like I've been on my game, but also, oh god, I wish I didn't have to be on my game anymore. <laughs> yeah, and a, a few people have thought that like, like I'm genuinely like not okay because I've been so so fiery lately, and and like just today I, I posted a video which actually wasn't angry at all. I relished the chance to just talk about something that didn't matter that much. Um, but one of the replies was Jim. Oh, Jim's going through so much. He's had such a bad time. Everything he posts is so angry. And I'm like, first of all, with due cause. And second of all, um, no, like, I, I, I just want to assure people, like, I'm, I'm doing fine. Relatively speaking. Relatively speaking. In fact, uh, to give you an example of, let's say this, the stuff that we're going to talk about today happened, I would say, a year ago, certainly two years ago, I would be terrified of covering any of it right now. I would, you know, I would still dredge into it begrudgingly. I would not tackle it with the sheer I don't give a fuckness that I do right now. Yeah. Yeah. And and really, some of this stuff is just so dismal. You need to not give a fuck and just go in. And, mm. and you know, for example, if, if um, uh, someone accused of assault uh, takes to Twitter and denies it and then paints the person who you happen to know as... Um, someone who's being dishonest or lying uh yeah i'm gonna get angry and i'm gonna call them a a, you know all sorts of things on twitter um so anyway ubisoft has spent years coddling mental and physical abusers it eventually reaches a point for you where like you realize that the cost to you is really insignificant in the larger scheme Right. Yeah. Any cost to you that would come from being outspoken about abuse to people. I mean, fuck it. it yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. So if you hadn't guessed, there's more Ubisoft <laughs> um, abuse bullshit to talk about this week because that that is a floodgate that's been opened and is not going to stop for a while. Should we Should we talk about some of the things that have shown up this week? Yeah. Um. Let me. 
Let's keep it detail light if we yeah. can. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I, let's see, I did, I did some detail, like more details on the Jimquisition this week. And I know, especially, there are people that work on that show with me. And I have a very clear sort of, if this bothers you, let me know. And for that reason, I want to keep it, you know, fairly light yeah. and, and whatnot. But yeah, uh, we, we've talked about abuse at Ubisoft. Um, on Monday, I said more's coming and it ain't going to be pretty. Yeah. Tuesday, Jason Scryer had the more. And there's even more more than that right yep. yeah if, if, you, if you've got it in you read Jason Trier's Bloomberg piece it is a lengthy piece but it goes into a hell of a lot of detail about specific things specific people at that company have done yeah um, to give you a, a cliff note um, mental abuse physical abuse like uh, imagine a form of abuse it's it, it's been at Ubisoft, um, and and then that extends to uh, misogynistic uh, attitudes in the game's designs themselves, which really puts into a new perspective their little boasts at the beginning of their games about how diverse the uh, teams working on them were. When their, their prevailing attitude for years was women don't sell, uh, which, by the way, whenever a publisher says X doesn't sell, they really mean we don't want to sell you X. We don't want to do it. And we're just going to tell you no yeah. one wants it. And I, I would feel less confident in making that claim if it wasn't backed up by years of publishers claiming things don't sell yeah. and those things selling. But they are spineless liars who don't want to admit that they just don't fucking care about yeah. certain stories and people. One, one of the things that came out of that Bloomberg report that is about, you know, let's talk about the video games and not anything else. Um, apparently both Assassin's Creed Origins back in 2017 and Assassin's Creed Odyssey in 2018, both of those games were originally designed to only have female playable protagonists. Um, Assassin's Creed Origins was going to injure or kill off Bayek early in the story and give control to his wife. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey was just going to be the story of Cassandra and higher-ups at the company both times axed that and were like nope, you can't have a game that is just about a woman. It is not allowed. Which, you know, when paired with the prevailing attitude towards women in the company, yeah. um, really it just compounds everything or certainly just, just sheds new shades of light on everything. It all feeds into each other. The part of me that is compelled to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and try to see things from their perspective is dead to Ubisoft. <laughs> yeah. Because of everything else they've done. I would like to be able to look at that story about the Assassin's Creed protagonists and think, well, I'm sure that there was something along the creative process that they determined that this wasn't the correct course for this. But that's absolutely impossible to do in light of everything else we know about Ubisoft as a company now. Yeah. They, they've not earned that level of benefit of the doubt. A tweet I saw um, earlier today was uh, for people who have worked at Ubisoft, you know, people talking about this, about how recent Assassin's Creed have had playable woman characters, but they are the result of a lot of lost fights. A lot of developers trying to push for, for more representation and years of Ubisoft denying it. Yeah, it, it's one of those things things where like it doesn't paint a great picture when you look at the marketing material for both of those games that allegedly they started life as games that were going to be just about female protagonists were then changed to games where you could pick the gender of your protagonist and then only the male protagonist was shown in marketing materials and then ubisoft basked in the wokeness of it all yeah ubisoft basked in the wokeness which by the 
way came a year after they claimed women are too hard to animate and that's why yeah. we don't have them in our games and I said at the time when they said that I remember saying it in a video I said I guarantee you next year they will have a woman who's playable in the game and they will like like just sit there and wait for their applause for how inclusive they are and they did exactly that I don't want to like you know get all nerdy on this but from a historical perspective, this is exactly how the patriarchy has operated forever. The reason yeah. priests wear robes is because they took the leadership position of faith from women. It's it's almost like sexism is a prevalent thing that comes up again and again and again in society. <laughs> Go figure. So anyway, The Last of Us 2 was a massive sales success. Yeah. As I, While we're on the subject of women don't sell. Yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn sold really well. Women don't sell. What's a Tomb Raider? What's a Tomb Raider? What is how Tomb Raider be it now, please? Fucking hell. Ubisoft uh, spent years um, protecting and promoting, uh, let's let's not forget, uh, mental and physical abusers of all types at every echelon of the company. Yves Jumeau, uh co-founded Ubisoft. His family um, ha- is Ubisoft, and we're supposed to believe he didn't know about this. Yeah, he's one of five brothers that own it. Is that the thing? Something like that. Like... Like, some people have said, like, how is he keeping his job? This is like a Randy Pitchford situation here. Um, He's too baked in. He was a co-founder. He ain't going anywhere. But what he should fucking do, at the very least, is not draw one thin dime from his company this year and give it all to domestic abuse charities. And and that's the start of what he should do. He shouldn't take a dollar. Yeah, but that would require drawing attention to the fact that things happened at Ubisoft this year. He presided over evil. Like, let's not mince about. He presided over rapists for decades. Shut out a quick non-apology and then moved straight on to Ubisoft forward. Fuck him. And and I've been wondering, like, how am I going to cover Ubisoft games? Because I should still do it when they come up and then just use it as an excuse to fucking talk more about this stuff. And then it just hit me. And this isn't an elegant phrase. We're, we're, we're workshopping it. But I do recommend that if you want to cover Ubisoft games and you can't get review copies and you don't want to give them money, buy used Ubisoft. We're working on on the on we're workshopping it okay before we put it on a shirt we won't put it on a shirt but but yeah i'm I'm just gonna wait for their shit to be used then i'm gonna buy them and then i'm gonna review them and then i'll do what i've always done um with these types of situations i will dedicate most of the video to just reminding everyone what ubisoft did because like i said this isn't done until they are that very much sounds like the right way to go about it hasten is there anything other that we could talk about. Yeah, so speaking of things that we talked about last week and we're going to talk about again this week, I need to get back on my on my bullshit talking about Sweary and Deadly Premonition 2. Because, um, cause my gosh, there is more to talk about. We're at the, oh, for fuck's sake, part of this whole story. That was my... <laughs> when I saw what he was doing with you this morning, my first thought was, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, so here's here's the short version. Um, shortly after we recorded Podquisition last week, Sweary put up a statement on Twitter that basically amounted to, hey, I, I've been told that some of the content in Deadly Premonition 2 is upsetting to trans 
trans people and I'm gonna fix it and I'm very sorry and you know please please don't hate my characters uh, I'm very sorry I will fix it within about four days he had announced that the patch that was going to fix all of the transphobia was out which red flag yeah that is a suspiciously fast turnaround for a game with this much entrenched issues on that front um, yeah. I, you know, no you a, a four day turnaround patch on a development team oh, yeah. that size for fucking anything it, you would struggle to get that through certification to get it live on Nintendo servers in four days the only way you could make an update that quickly is if I don't know you had uh, a video game showcase event with pre-recorded footage and you needed to edit in an apology <laughs> That's the only time you could do that. Yeah, they, they would allow for that. Yeah, that's when you could fit that in. Yeah, so, you know, when he announced this, my my reading was like, look, there's a lot of stuff that's baked into this that is never going to change. Um, and I, I was prepared for that. I, I wasn't expecting to see this game no longer have any transphobia of any way, shape or form. I was like, look, if they... Basically, there's two things that this game needs to to be a lot better, which are, you know, get rid of that line where York, um, you know, deliberately dead names the trans character in order to be like, aha, gotcha, trying to, you know, and I'll say this, by Swery's later admission, like, that line was designed to hurt the trans character, like, that was the intention of that line. And in all the times where York is talking about this trans character in the past tense, stop bringing up the dead name and misgendering. Like, don't, don't call this trans woman a son, a brother, uh, he, him, uh, birth name. Those are not necessary when talking about the character in the past. If if York is going to be your like, this is the the bastion of of um of allyship for trans people. Maybe just be consistent and use their current name and pronouns regardless of when you're talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this patch comes out and it's suspiciously fast. I start playing through it because I'm like, fuck it, I need to see what's changed. That I can find there is literally only one change. To his credit. I guess uh, he has removed the single worst individual line of dialogue from that game, which is the line where, you know, York goes and just like drops her dead name as an excuse to be like, aha, hurt you now, huh? Yeah. But he's removed it in the most, the most slapdash way possible. Um, There is like 10 seconds of York just sat there silently and then a hard cut and the next line of dialogue. Like, they've yanked it out and not really put anything in its place or truncated the space where it used to be. It's, it is it is a complete rush job. Now, it is deadly premonition. I, I know, I know. But, you know, but the weird gap thing almost makes a, a bit of sense <laughs> what this game is. It's, yeah, it, well, here's the thing. I would say that if it wasn't clear that everything surrounding this was also like, ah, you... It, it very much feels like they rushed to make some kind of change so that they could say, we fixed it right. and stop getting shouted Obviously. at. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't seem stylistic. It seems this was, we needed to get it out ASAP. I just think absent of the context, someone could look at that and, and, and be like, oh, all right. Yeah. If, if someone plays this and doesn't know what line was there previously, it's probably going to come off as a fun de- thing that Deadly Premonition does. One thing I want to bring him up, though, uh, up on, though, is you mentioned how, you know, he says that's what York's intention was and that's what, yeah. he, what York did. Now, 
The issue with that is he seems to be trying to have this both ways because mm-hmm. in his yeah. original apology, he's like, please don't hate the characters. I'm responsible for what they said. I will fix it. Yeah. Now, especially seeing his arguments with you on Twitter recently, now it's all York did this. I'm I'm just sort of yeah putting these characters in the games and it's yeah. their decisions and their drives. And I'm like, you can't do this. You can't, you can't say don't hate the characters. It's not their fault. And then don't hate me. It's not my fault. At some yeah. point, someone was responsible for the art they created. Probably the artists. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say that the, the awkward way that this line was like, uh, taken out has caused new problems to occur because of the absence of that line. Um, most notably, the trans woman character, Lena, brings up her dead ne- her own dead name several times in conversations with York. And originally, I at least kind of got why that was happening. It was a response to York aggressively dead naming her. It's like, okay, well, that's on the table. Fuck it. We'll talk about that then. Um, now, with York's dead naming line cut, no one has mentioned her dead name whatsoever, and she brings it up multiple times unprompted. <laughs> and that, that, that's right. an entirely new problem that has been created because that's a whole massive other level of ignorance about trans culture. Like I mean, exactly, like that—that that is a whole new problem that you created because you so you you rushed so much to take that line out that you didn't think about the the ripple implications it had. Again, another thing that you should automatically be thinking about from a narrative perspective because if you're designing narrative you should know that that's how that works nothing you write exists outside of the rest of it so much of this game is so almost nailed it and one of the issues with this this whole dead naming issue is this scene could easily be recontextualized it would need a bit more writing is the issue but have your go for the aggressive gotcha and and i feel like Maybe in Swear's mind, the response of Lena, which is to laugh and then yeah. brush it off, is to almost suggest that she thinks it's cute that he's trying to, you know, yeah. use such a such an obvious shitty ploy. And all it needs is her or someone to just call him out. No, you you know what it needs? It needs a cis character to call him out because trans people do not get taken seriously when they say "Don't treat me that way." You need a a positive well-liked cis character to go no York that's not the right way to do that yeah well I'm not going to suggest that Sweary started deleting his tweets after I joined in oh no he's been tweeting and deleting like for a while um, while he was fine you know going at you yeah so we'll 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 get to that but like beyond that he's fucking changed nothing like York still spends the entire rest of the game you know the the murder mystery investigation wall still lists Lena as someone's son um there are still sentences where like Aaliyah will start a sentence going oh Lena uh Lena did it her brother like like we'll start a sentence with the correct name but then use the wrong gender at the end of the sentence like none of that has been touched and I was like okay um Swery's tweet saying that like ah oh, the fix is out definitely made it sound like n- not much else was gonna change and I kind of was just gonna stay out of it and a few people in in Swery's comments were ta- you know were saying to him look your your fixes haven't gone far enough and he sent some confused uh gifts back and someone tagged me in and went Laura can probably explain so I sent him like three tweets going 
hey, if, if, if York is our protagonist, if he's supposed to be the positive trans, you know, the trans positive person, don't use old name and old pronouns when talking about the past. It's unnecessary, and it's one of the big things that the trans community were really hoping you would change in this. Oh, that's when he started quote tweeting me and getting a bit... Uh, he, he's changed his wordings many times on these tweets. Like, he'll he'll tweet something and realise he's kind of fucked up and reword it. But, um, yeah, the first time... He, mm, okay, his first tweet was... You seem to be misunderstanding. I don't think every character in my game is a proponent of LGBTQ. Some characters may oppose it or misunderstand it. Why? Because that is the world. Don't use my children, video games, for your propaganda. Uh, big all caps your, um, very much implying like, hey, trans people, stop trying to be, you know, push your propaganda into my games. That wasn't great. That wasn't a great start. I just sort of left it. I was like, okay, Okay, he does not want to change anymore, that's fine. He started tweeting at me again, like 12 hours later, um, and the summary is, York is transphobic by design, swear he knows that dead naming and misgendering in the past tense is wrong, but he decided that York would do that and he's not going to change it. Um, I will read the tweets, he's since deleted them, but I think that they are important context. York exercises the utmost consideration when referring to Lena, but he doesn't do that when making third-person references to the past. If, by your definition, that means he isn't supporting transgender people, that's unfortunate, but I have no intention of changing it. Does York dead name? No. He did in the original script, purposefully, in order to irritate the person he was speaking to. But I changed that in a patch. Does York use the personal pronoun that the person wants to be referred to as? In most cases. I'll debate that one. I'm pretty sure more often than not he uses the wrong pronouns and name, like I think it's over 50%. In what cases does he not do that? When talking about in events in the past. Does Swery do the same thing? No. Why? Because that is the stance that York has taken. So yeah. Swery, Swery doesn't misgender and deadname trans people when he talks about them in the past. He knows that that's wrong. But he's written York to do it and he knows that it's wrong, but he has no plans to change it. And he's made no effort to challenge that idea that he knows that's wrong in the text of his art. Yeah, no, no character in the text of the art calls out York for doing so and suggests that he is wrong. He is allowed to have his big speech of I am the I am the one who knows how to respect trans people and then does a thing wrong and does not get in any way made to inspect that. And to be clear, I don't have a problem if that's who York is. Yeah, and, and you know what? You know what? Let's let's take that as canon. York is a character who wants to be a trans ally, but has not done the basic research needed to know how to be respectful when treating the trans community. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'm willing to believe that that is the, can the canonical identity of this hero that Swery has made. Yeah, I don't, that's not a stretch. It's very believable. It's it's it's, it's not a stretch to think that Swery might have created a, a hero whose whole identity is I'm a trans ally. No, I'm not going to read up on trans people, but I am a trans ally. I mean, that's the closest swear has come to a self-insert character, yeah, the way he's carrying on at the it, moment. It feels pretty self-insert. But I mean, like, it's not even a problem if you're, if that's your intent. Like, if you do that with intent, the problem is, is that when you don't put anything in opposition to those things, and now you come back and double down and say, no, that was intentional, then your intent ultimately was to express this. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I have a fucking problem with that. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say, because I know some people will call me out on it, I'll say, I'll reiterate what I said when Swery first announced that he was going to make changes and the usual <laughs> suspects all piled in with, oh, don't panda, don't censor yourself. And I said, look, an artist has the right to change their art however they want. If they want to bring their art more in line with their artistic vision, and if that's what Swery says he's done and he's doing, fine. Yep. That is his prerogative, yeah. his right, and it's also a fucking shame yep. that he yeah. did it the way he did he, it. He, he has every right not to change this game, but also any goodwill that, that still existed on the, on the premise of, well, maybe he just didn't know. Maybe he didn't know better. Oh, maybe it'll get changed in the future. Maybe there'll be a version of this that I can play with, I can recommend without caveats. Those, those bits of hope have gone out the window, and that's a shame. Yeah, I'm done with him. And I appreciate I appreciate that he's been, you know, so forthcoming at this yeah, point I, about it. I would rather just know that that's the situation. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for not stringing us along on it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm done with with the game for sure, and I'm done with the pretty much all of it. And it's a sad decision, but it's not a difficult one. Yeah. I mean, my my interactions with him over the last couple of days have very much given me the impression that he is not interested in hearing why the way he is presented trans people in this narrative might be might be harmful. He he just doesn't want to know. Yeah. And that is what it is. And good luck with it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> good yeah. luck with it, mate. I, I mean, if this is the attitude you're going to have and you d you genuinely don't care about hearing from trans people on how you could do better in the future, please stop putting trans people in your games because you keep like more often than not you have fucked it up yeah um at the, if you're not going to research trans issues research the dunning kruger effect mate yeah Al also just just as a side note he's i've been saving screenshots he's, he keeps tweeting me and then deleting the tweets and then tweeting me again and deleting the tweets he's real he's real pissed off that i i tried to explain to him calmly that he i have blocked him already <laughs> well I, but i also think there's a part of that his english is, is his second language and and I, the problem is he keeps hitting tweet. Like, what you need to yeah. do is you write the tweet, you walk away, and then have the thoughts about, oh, did I do that right? Then you go back, edit, then not hit tweet again. In fact, never fucking hit tweet, okay? Just never. Just keep revising the one over and over again, realizing that you're saying something fucked up, and delete the goddamn tweet. Well, I'll say this. Some of the tweets that he that he has deleted, English was perfect on them. That was not the reason he was deleting some of them. He was some of them were tweeted and once people said, No, no sweary, you're not correct about that. Mm. It was very quick to oh, I, I said nothing. Uh It's been tiring thinking about this game. Yeah, I mean that's that's the one element where I suggested earlier that I think none of us are okay. That this is where the we're we're okay as well as can be expected comes in. Right. Yeah. Because while I feel fiery, I am very tiry. Had an opportunity to rhyme, so I took it. Um, but we're we're tired, and I'm as a cis guy, I'm tired of the transphobia. <laughs> so I can't right. imagine how fucking exhausted. Yeah. Oh, can I say one other thing as well? I'm I'm not going to mention any specific outlets, but 
bit of a fuck you to all the outlets that were reporting this morning on that uh, that that deadly premonition patch that made zero effort to check what had been changed and just proudly put headlines going ah sweary has fixed all of the transphobia in deadly premonition 2 with a new patch but a lot of them didn't even mention it in their reviews yeah because he says that he has fixed it so he has fixed it and there was like zero like this is what he has actually changed or like just just yeah mm. i'm not going to i'm not going to say that's a, a result of the grab a press release shit out a story culture that goes on in a lot of games media or certainly did when I was uh, in the journalistic side of things but go and check before you talk about something it's not hard yeah like I sometimes do Uh. for crying out loud there were certainly plenty of people out there even if you just wrote stories for a little while longer about other things and you waited for some very loud and obvious people who have clearly been paying close attention to what's been going on here for them to, I don't know, do a tweet thread in real time and then cape their content. For fuck's sake, do the research. I I will say IEGN is the one place that was like, hey, we've seen your tweet thread. It is actually a really useful resource on what has and hasn't changed in this game. Are you okay with us, like, citing your tweet thread? Because we know that it might point some shitty people your way, but it's also, like, the, the, the good resource right now on what has changed oh i've got so much criticism for that outlet but that was a class move that, they are the one outlet that was like hey you seem to know more than us about what happened in that patch can we cite you and i'm like yes please make my effort worth it i honestly wouldn't have expected that that level of attention uh, yeah, from, I mean, from that outlet literally what i just sort of expected was what i would out what i outlined was that they just take the content and not credit you which is still at least a step above what they do. So, uh, but I, that, yeah, that's class. Good, good on IGN yeah. for actually doing their job. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Should we, should we talk about some games that we oh, like? Can we? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking find some lighter content to do. Not for the bread and circuses. Let's ignore bad shit. But for once, I do genu- genuinely think I need to throw some positivity out there. Mm-hmm. I've got some video games this week I actually really liked. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we made it through the sucky stuff in about half an hour. So we got, we got plenty of time. Plenty of time. May I talk about Ghost of Tsushima? Oh, would you please? Yeah, tell us tell us about the samurai ghosts. Fucking great. Fucking great, friends. <laughs> Love it. It's a good it's a good video game. It's a very good samurai video game. If you want that, um then get it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you might like it. It's 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 sucker punch, so it's got a kind of baseline open world experience behind it. Um and when I say experience, I mean like their experience having done those types of games. And it's... Uh, since Bloodborne and Horizon Zero Dawn have gone PC, I, I think I'm very confident saying it's the best PS4 exclusive. It's certainly the prettiest PS4 game. Even though there are technically graphically better games, ain't none of them look as fucking pretty as this. Ain't none of them have like carpets of yellow leaves that are completely different from other areas of the game that are full of flower fields or pampas grass and the sheer diversity of environment on this one island that still is thematic 
perfectly consistent is impeccable. I feel like you do yourself a real disservice if you play this game in its black and white Kurosawa mode because yeah. that's the thing. The Kurosawa mode I tried is great, especially the filtered audio. Yeah, but it does. Yeah, it does a disservice. It, you you lose so much because so much of the beauty of this game is its really vibrant and creative use of color. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. It is a gorgeous game. It takes a lot for me to stay wowed by a game. Like I can play a game and like for the first couple hours I'll be thinking, oh, this is gorgeous. But I've I've been obsessively playing this and I'm still finding moments where I have to stop and go, whoa, just the every now and then the light will hit something as it goes down. Like the, the weather diversity is amazing as well. And it creates it makes sure that even if you go to an area you've already been to, it may look completely different just because the lighting is that fucking good at, at reframing the atmosphere. I will never not be wowed every time that there are loose like autumn leaves on the ground mm-hmm. and they sort of move as you step like that visual effect gets me every time and the loading times are ridiculous yeah seconds just in Zeddy Slora's story where they made the loading times longer on purpose just so you'd have time to read a tutorial in the loading screen <laughs> I mean this is what's getting me. Like, they're talking about the next generation, the PS5, and that, like, practically eliminating loading times. The thing is, this is what it would look like, and we're about to leave this generation <laughs> after Sucker Punch has clearly fully optimized that fucker. And now is the time we should be thinking, oh, this generation of games has finally started. And we get this every time. We get these gorgeous, fully optimized games in, like, the last year, and then we move right on to a whole bunch of cobbled together launch titles. Yeah. Don't, don't know anything about how to maximize the system. You would think that, like, I don't know, the industry would recognize how much more profit potential there would be in having the console life cycle run another, like, four years and, like, really juice out some badass games that sell millions and millions of copies instead of this and i don't i i mean i'm sure that there is a spreadsheet reason for it oh it it, it would all in almost certainly be all based in in stocks yeah that's got to be it. You've got to have a console to raise the prices and keep your, your you know, the myth of perpetual growth are growing. Um, so I, I would be almost certainly there is a, a, a fiscally thingy. I shot, I flew too close to the sun by saying fiscal and had nothing clever to follow it. How much money they'd save by not, by just delaying the number of years a little bit that you have to relearn an entirely mm-hmm. new set of hardware and dedicate that time to just making product that you know is going to make bank because the base is there. And I have to listen to the complaints that games are too expensive to make. I'm like, you're doing it to yourselves. Anyway, Ghost of Tsushima's great. It's got a samurai in it, right? Mm -hmm. And you can do all the stealth. The stealth's real good. It's got poison blow darts if you want it. You've got, you know, you can throw bombs, sneak up, do the assassinations, all the good stuff, all the hits are there. They do a great job as well of delineating when you are or are not in shadow. Like, they do a great job of very well-defined, like, uh, the moonlight creating a very solid line of this is where you are in shadow and this is where you are not. Yeah, yeah. Which is always really appreciated for a good stealth section. Really good stuff. So the stealth works fantastic, I feel. I never felt like it wasn't working 
thing as it should. Ranged combat is great as well. Now, all of this you can just play the whole game doing, more or less. There are some moments where like one-on-one -on -one deals and stuff are unavoidable. But for the most part, while you're just engaging in the open world, you can be a fully ranged character if you want. You get two different types of bows, you get blow darts, you get all manner of stuff to never have to unless it's like mandated by the, the story or what have you. You never really have to get up close to an enemy if you don't want. So we've got our ranged combat and we've got our stealth, which can all be mixed and match, which is what I like to do. That all works great. However, where Ghost of Tsushima really shines is the fact that it made a completely unsubtle run in and fight everything system way more compelling than the stealth and the sneaky and the clever shit. Because the clever <laughs> shit I've seen before. It's very well done here. It can still be mechanically satisfying. I still like to do a bit of stealth in Ghost of Tsushima. However, when I've played so like dozens of open world games, all of which have dozens and dozens of bandit camps in them, <laughs> it takes a fucking lot for me to play an open world game and think for the first time in maybe 10 years, ooh, a bandit camp! <laughs> and then I head straight for that fucker, then the standoff button prompt comes up, I hit that thing, and my character is immediately yelling, ARE YOU COWARDS?! DO YOU ACCEPT MY challenge and then they run out and then you just slash them the fuck up the, the thing every time that makes it so worth not trying to stealth and just walking in confidently is you prepare that one held move you have where you like it takes a while to charge but you walk up to uh, an enemy and as they try and attack you you let go of the button and it just one hit murderizes them one hits like, them that is the thing that every battle has to begin with is just oh you've noticed me come on you, re you reckon you've got ah yeah, and you can upgrade oh. like like you can upgrade the the standoff. So you do the one hit kill on the guy who tried to, and and that's a real tense moment. Like even hours in, because mm. they'll faint at it. It'll be you and one guy, and they'll like lunge at you, but then pull back to try and trick yeah. you into letting go of the button. But when you do it, it slices through them in this lovely slow motion. Like when you like parry enemies or slash into them the game lets you know it you slash into this guy and you can upgrade it so that more guys rush in one by fucking one like in a kung fu movie or something where only one person can fight out of the crowd and they run in one by one and you just cut the fuck through them and then once that's done you get a real good combat system um that isn't quite Sekiro, isn't quite Neo. It is its own thing, but it takes inspiration from both of them. <laughs> so it's very heavy on parries uh, like Sekiro, very heavy on changing stances like Neo. But the stances are more interesting here because they are. there's a slight rock, paper, scissors element to it <laughs> um, where each stance deals with a different enemy type and you, you quickly switch between them to use different moves to break their guards. Um, there's something else I was going to say. The parrying is more forgiving. Um, yeah. And, 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 it's, and, and, and then there are other little details. Like, you know, you could parry enemies so well that one enemy becomes terrified, drops his weapons, and just 
bolt and you can watch him because the draw distance is so ridiculous in this game you could watch him run for miles just this one mongol raider just screaming and running through a field and, and if you decide to go stealth but want to mix it up you can thin the herd until there's like one or two left and then the prompt comes up again that says challenge remaining enemies so you can even the odds completely in your favor and then <laughs> pretend to be honorable this game has greatly amused me. Yeah, I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did, but it has been... Yeah. It took me a little while to warm up to it because the one major flaw this game has is its lack of interesting characters. The plot is kind of generic and the characters propelling it forward. Like, in the first act, you, you recruit a band of allies Every single one of them could be interchangeable. Any one of them could be the protagonist. Any one of them could be uh, uh, an allied character because they've all more or less got the same personality of serious. They're basically all Qui-Gon Jinn. Yes. Serious warrior who survived the invasion and needs to prove himself a serious warrior. A few hours in, you get... um, uh, a comedy merchant The comedy shifty cowardly merchant Which again Very stereotypical But at least it's a personality um, Twice so far in the game And I've been playing this For several days straight uh, Twice so far Jim has been a bit sarcastic And I pumped the, my fist in the air And said yes He was a bit sarcastic That's a trait That is a trait everybody um, Aside from that I find it frustrating Because I really love the world and I wish I could be as absorbed in the history of Tsushima and the characters of Tsushima as I am by just the visuals of it Um, but the gameplay itself is just it's arresting I just I keep I'm still interested in bandit camps with this game and that's ridiculous for me yeah the the thing gameplay wise that I keep thinking about that, that really captures why this game works for me is compared to something like Sekiro It's just that little bit more forgiving on its parrying that I am a lot less frustrated with it. And if I decide I want to do the combat, I want to fight stuff, it's a little less um, swarms you and overwhelms you with more enemies than you can handle at once than something like an Assassin's Creed. It strikes that nice balance between between both of those and has created a midpoint I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And and it's the flow of it is... That's Uh, one of those hard words to use in Games Critique because it's used so much. I use it way too much, but sometimes it just... That's the right way to describe it. This is fluid. Yeah, it's got this system of how you lock on... You you, um, aim at one enemy, attack the next, attack the next, without ever having a hard lock-on on any of them. The thing it felt most comparable to was something like Beyond Good and Evil, in that... It's more about like you mid mid what you're doing. You can flick your analog stick in another direction and go. I'm attacking that way now, and it makes it really easy to crowd control stuff when Mm. you need to. And I won't say it's not got problems there because like I've seen some people complain about the lack of lock on. And normally I'm the first one to join that kind of crowd. I like my gameplay Mm. conveniences. I think. Sacrificing functionality for style is often disrespectful to the player. But for some reason with this, and again, this is where this game is is presenting old problems I've had in ways that I find engaging. I genuinely feel like something would be lost from this, from the atmosphere and the rhythm of the combat if there was a lock-on system. Yes, the trade-off is sometimes the camera is not fucking helping me. But I've also never 
really super struggled. There have been hard fights, certain enemy combinations and types, but I've never felt like I died because I couldn't see what was going on. There have been times in battles where momentarily I can't see what's going on and I'm yelling, but I, I wouldn't... I don't think I'd trade that issue in for a lock-on. Hmm. I really think... I know that uh, part of Tsushima is all about reducing UI anyway. Um, that whole idea of the wind blowing towards your target instead of a, a constant compass is surprisingly effective. Because um, you can bring up the wind, you can like swipe up on the touchpad to bring up a strong wind that just sort of really shows you the direction. But if you just watch the particle effects or the way the grass blows and follow it, I did that most of the game and I've had no problem finding stuff again things I'd complain about in other games just give me a fucking compass is what I'd yell in another game but here it's follow the grass no problem this game is 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 very interesting to me in, in the way it does things I would consider transgressions um, but I've, I've, I've demonstrated before that there are certain games that if they do something the right way I will um, like the sinking city you know I still yeah. there's a lot I'll tolerate if if the game if it's the right game and this is yeah. you know I mean look yesterday I spent most of my time wandering around the island looking for hats now they offer no gameplay advantages. There are all, there's all sorts of open world busy work in that game that I complain about. I'm like, there are too many banners to collect. There are too many fox dens. It's just, it's all that nebulous open world stuff. And yet, I went out of my way to indulge in no major gameplay outside of finding a direction that's got a secret hat going there and looking for it because I like hats. And that video game industry is how you get me to engage in your open world bullshit. You don't make me pay for the stuff I actually want. And I'll go and play your game to get it. And don't tell me cosmetics don't affect gameplay because I spent all of my gameplay yesterday looking for fucking hats. And let me tell you, they're lovely. Too many headbands. You don't need that many headbands, but all the straw hats, yes, please. And I got a helmet with antlers on it. <laughs> so what do you think about that, Laura? I mean, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice when a video game lets you earn cosmetics in the game. And there are secret merchants. Yeah, there are. There are these dye merchants that can recolor your armor. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. There are some patterns. It's limited. But, you know, I can make this armor yellow or blue. That's fun. And then I just wander the game looking for hats and stumble upon a cave with a guy in it who dyes things black. And then I got my antler helmet and my antler <laughs> armor and had him recolor it black, which had the other effect of making the, the scales all pearlescent and shimmery. So now it's all like shimmery and little subtle greens and purples. And I'm like, that was just there. Another game would have sold that to me, and I wouldn't have bought yeah. it. This, this is this is much the same response I had uh, last year, the year before, with um, Yoshi's Crafted World. It's really nice to just be able to get a bunch of fun costumes and and design elements without having to pay additional money for them. It makes me play the game more. It makes me feel rewarded. It absolutely informs gameplay. It is gameplay, a cosmetics, and slowly over the years that's been eroded. And I needed this game. Uh, I needed a game like this, just something to remind me of the potential I saw in games as a medium yeah. that has been diminished by years of this medium squandering that. Y you know what game I've been playing this week that has 
um, the best kind of in-game unlockable cosmetics. What is that? I've been playing Paper Mario the Origami King. Justin just sent me a video about that. Yeah. Because I couldn't be bothered to do it, so he's done his own just impressions of it. <laughs> um, so, like, here's the thing. There, there are other things I will say about this game in a minute, but the most important thing is at all times you have a dedicated confetti throwing button, and you can unlock different things to have instead of colourful confetti, so you can throw handfuls of, like, uh, rose petals, for example. You just have this endless bag of like, yay, and throw a bunch yeah. of stuff up in the air. I love that shit. Personalization yeah. makes me more invested in a game. I yeah. mean, well, the industry knows this. That's why it monetized it. But, you know, it, it, it absolutely is part of the game experience. It's part of the gameplay for me. There are a few things I won't do for a cute hat. Yeah. If I'm being perfectly honest. And exactly. spending hours just walking around in grass looking for, looking for one. Like, that's something I chose to do. And I complain about games that make me do stuff. Like, that's another thing about Tsushima. Like, if the game forced the character to bow after every fight, I'd get so sick and tired of it. There is a button to bow when you want, and I do yeah. it all the time. All I want is a little agency and some cute hats. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that Paper Mario game. Yeah. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, it is not what I expected out of a Paper Mario game. I've heard very mixed things. Yeah, so here's the thing. Don't go into this expecting, like, Thousand Year Door, like the, the GameCube era Paper Mario RPGs. This is not a traditional JRPG where it's like, pick your have a turn-based battle, pick your moves from a list, earn experience points, level up, that kind of thing. This is much more in the vein of something like uh, Puzzle Quest or Legend of Bumbo in how it does its combat. It is puzzle mechanics to then be the basis for combat. At its core, the, the, the way that you do battles in this game is you are in the center of a circle, you can you have a certain number of moves and maybe 30 seconds per battle to either rotate the rings or uh, like shuffle the columns on the circle, you know, across the center mm -hmm. to move around enemies to try and get them lined up. Yeah, Justin showed me that this morning because he was capturing footage. Yeah, it's basically like if you're going to attack things with a jump attack, you want to have them all in a straight line. If you want to hit them with your hammer, you want to have them in a 2 by 2 grid. And it's quick quick quick, you're on a time limit. How do you, with only three moves, get these things into the right position? And we'll give you we'll give you a damage bonus. Right. If if you don't manage to line them up, you can still fight them as normal. It's still turn based combat, but lining them up means like, hey, I can hit all four of those enemies at once. I'll do one point five times damage. I'm more likely to clear them out in a single row of attacks. Um, it's still got the stuff from some of the past Paper Mario games, where like if you time pressing a button every time you hit an enemy or they hit you, you'll deal more damage and you'll take less damage. Honestly, I've been really enjoying the combat. I have found it really engaging. It has put even the most basic of overworld encounters as soon as it starts I'm like, ah oh, shit, I've got to, like, I never find myself on autopilot doing combat, which I've had a lot of fun with. Um, rather than traditional leveling, you get a bunch of coins. They are mainly used to either buy uh, equipment that will basically work like level ups. It'll give you things like more time uh, in each battle to to arrange the rings, or more health, or more uh, damage output. You know, things that would be a leveling system. Um, you can also use them to buy absolutely nonsense stuff. Like I want to reskin my confetti that I throw everywhere. It's an adorable game. It's 
colourful and charming and very creative with like the diversity of its various background uh, environment types. Is it as colourful as my father's blue urine? Um, God damn it, sorry, I'm not the Prince of Wales, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... I've, I've been pleasantly surprised by the writing in this game. Um, for for a game that, like, it starts off very hand-holdy. Like, the first probably 45 minutes is Nintendo doing their thing of we're going to explain to you, like, three times in a row how to do very basic combat, and we're going to really slow you down and railroad you for a bit. But once it gets going, it, it took some turns that I had not expected. Like, there is a particular moment that I shared on Twitter this week that I, I don't want to give, like, skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to know any spoilers whatsoever for a very narrative-like game, but one of my party members was trapped under a giant boulder and we went on this big side quest to be like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, this bomb on NPC is like, I know where we can find an item that will rescue that NPC. Turns out it was a fuse. He'd been missing a fuse the whole time and he's like, I'm going to blow that rock up to save her and he fucking dies. Fucking explodes himself to rescue another character. I was like, oh, oh shit, okay, hey. Like, this, this game weirdly, like, Take some narrative risks I wouldn't have expected. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very colourful puzzle combat game. I, I I spent the last half an hour driving around at full speed in a shoe car. It's all just very charmingly written and looks very nice. And it's the exact amount of not having to really think too hard about a video game that I needed this week. Yeah, I mean I'm glad I'm glad we're getting some games we needed to play. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I needed something this week. I needed something that wasn't Deadly Premonition. Um, it's good when games are good, isn't it? Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's good when we can just say that game was very nice. Has Conrad played a nice game? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. I have played a pretty nice game. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like anything to get too excited about. It's just sort of quaint and, and nice. It's uh, I, I, Last week, we were talking about, you know, the cheap stuff on the, the Switch. And my Switch... Uh, you know, I played Super Mario Odyssey on it, and then I put it in the cradle. <laughs> you know, I pulled it back out when I got Deadly Premonition Origins, and I played that for like 20 minutes, and I put it back at the cradle. Pulled it out for Deadly Premonition too, <laughs> and uh, so. But you know, talking about all the stuff on sale, and I knew that that was a thing that went on, so I went scrolled through and tried to see about what was there. And there's this mobile game from like six years ago on there called Goblin Sword. It was a buck fifty. And it's the kind of thing that I, is just catnip for me. It's a little picked sprite art platformer. You know, everybody says, oh, God, there's too many of the, yeah, and <laughs> shovel them down my throat. That's fine. I don't have a problem yeah. with that. Um, and this is an incredibly basic one. You have a jump with a double jump and you can swing your sword and you go through discrete stages where you start on the left and you work your way to an exit on the right and within the stage somewhere are three crystals and two treasure boxes and there's a bunch of enemies and obstacles between you and there and that's that's it that's that's it like you find the treasures <laughs> and it'll it'll unlock stuff that appears in your little house so your house gets better over time because you've gone and found all the treasures or occasionally you'll get some functional item like a weapon or a, an accessory you can wear and there's a merchant shop where you could swap all these things around and there's a surprising quantity of different weapons that you can equip uh, most of which you find through gameplay but there's a decent selection just 
available for sale. They'll have three stats, how much damage they deal, how quickly they swing, and what their range is. And you can go there anytime and switch them up. And when you're in the environment running around, there's a magic ball that you can pick up and it you know, makes your magic meter appear, and then all of your attacks then have magic, and all of these weapons has, have their own effect when used with magic. Um, so far, I, you know, and I'm not, like, super far into it, but they're all pretty different and distinct, and I hope that's a trend that carries on, because that's really damn impressive. There's, like, 30 weapons here. So, that's cool, um, but it's also totally low commitment you know it's a toilet game for sure i you know <laughs> i didn't know it was a mobile game until five minutes before recording when i thought you know what i should look this up i bet it's a mobile game because it has that very strict design that allows you to play it for three minutes while you're on a toilet taking care of your other business and it's charming and the animations are good the enemy diversity is good the level design is good and there's a a lot of fucking levels it's hard to keep that up uh but so far really good so yeah i'm uh, i'm glad with the dollar 50 i think i spent on that i mean one dollar 50 ain't a bad price for most things no. except one dollar 40 or a ubisoft game <laughs> or a ubisoft game buy used ubisoft it's not going to be a thing. That can't be no, a thing. That's, that is just... No. No. At least not until I am crowned king. I think you could force it to be a thing. You could brute force it. I mean, maybe it works better in hashtag form than said aloud. Look, look, we'll, I'll send it to Parliament and see if the Whigs approve it. <laughs> <laughs> I played a couple of other quick things before we finish up this week that, again, were quite nice things to just... I don't have a terrible amount to say about either of them, but um, there's a fun little top-down um, like retro-style demake of the first couple of areas of Bloodborne that is available online at the moment. Um, it's called Yarn Town, and it is just top-down pixel art Bloodborne. Huh. It, 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 the only mechanic I could spot that it doesn't have is... That whole thing of when you take damage, if you're aggressive and attack, you can earn it back. Uh, but you've got your dodge intact, your sort of your light attack, your heavy attack, your your uh, ability to use your gun and your ammo count. And I mean, there is a surprising amount of of playable demake Bloodborne there. You can go and fight the cleric beast. You can fight Father Gascoigne. I mean, it's cute. It's a fun little thing that is worth checking out. Those little demakes are fun. Yeah. yeah, it is a fun little demake that is worth just giving half an hour to. The one that I've got a little bit more to say on is I've started playing Ooblets. Oh, I keep oh, seeing yeah. people talk about this, but I, I, I'm never bought. It's it's one of those names I read it and like, I'm not interested, but I am because it keeps coming up. Yeah, that's the game I feel bad about because I... Um... I discussed them in an epic video uh, where I drew harassment, like helped draw harassment their way, which was unintended. So every time Ooblets comes up, I'm like, oh, yeah. And they seemed like they really didn't, were just trying to make a fun little game. Yeah. So I hope it's good. It is a really good little game. Like, I, I will try and summarize it as best I can. Um, imagine if um, Stardew Valley and Pokemon crossed over. Okay, you have my attention. Yeah, I'm in. But the combat system is a deck builder, uh, like a, a card a card-based combat system about cute little uh, cute little vegetable creatures having dance battles. Okay. I can hold on a second. <laughs> You've given me a lot of information. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot to process there right now. It all sounds 
like a lot of boxes being ticked. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's a lot to unpack as a concept. I, I think he does a lot of these really well. So like, you you show up on an island, you have nowhere to live. The mayor's like, hey, I'll give you a little shack to live in, like so long as you help me out with mayoral duties around the town. More than most mayors do. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's part, you know, farming, farming life sim. You've got your house, you've got all the little villages on the island that you make friends with. You can plant your crops, water them, uh, collect all your resources back, you can do your fishing and whatnot. But there's these things called ooblets, and they're basically Pokemon, except you don't... You, you, they never hurt each other. The whole point of them is that they fucking love to dance. Like, they absolutely fucking love to dance. And by the mayor's own admittance, the Pokemon-style economy of collecting and battling them does not need to exist. It only exists to keep these things happy because they just need excuses to let them dance. Um, <laughs> which is fucking great. I like how that sort of gets around the whole, yeah. like, dog-fighting yeah. Pokemon kind of issue. Oh, good, good, yeah. It's so charming. So the whole thing is you go into a battle and... It can be up to a five-on-five five battle if you have enough ooblets. Um, but basically, each ooblet has its own, um, basically its own stack of cards that get used in like a you know maybe slay the spire or something kind of uh, setup. As you level them up by doing lots of dance battles, you get new cards to add to the deck. You can improve the deck as you go. If you've got a five-on-five five battle, you'll basically smush the five decks together and be playing with all of their decks. Um, and the the basic idea is just. Try and get your score to whatever the threshold is before the other player by using your cards to get a high score. And they do things like um, prevent the other player from dancing for two turns, uh, get a bonus. like Until you get debuffed, maybe get a bonus so all your cards are worth more, um, steal points from the other player. Like, it's lots of point manipulation and trying to get your score up faster than the other person while these little, like, turnip creatures uh, just dance and have a real great time. I love that it is not combative in any way. It's yeah. all about yeah. puffing yourself up. Yeah, exactly. And like it, the charmingness of it uh, continues to when you win a, a, a dance battle because there is no sadness. You go over to the other team's ooblets and you go, you did a really great job. You did really good. You, you were great. And then they're like, oh, thank you so much for respecting my dancing. And they'll give you a seed that you can use to grow another of that ooblet. The ooblets themselves are adorable mm-hmm. as well. They're, like, they're almost like a cross between a, a, a Nobi Nobi boy type character, like a, yeah. a Katamari Damacy thing and Pokemon. Yeah. So like, you're not capturing and enslaving these creatures. It's, if you compliment, if you, if you win a dance battle against them, but give them a compliment, they'll give you a seed and you can grow one of your own. That one's a fucking turn! Turnip. Yeah, I told you about the. T- I told you there was a turnip one. Yeah, I, I, I was. I think I was too busy looking at all these pictures while you were talking because. Uh, yeah. I was, I, was, I was like, I've got to see what these little things look like. Yeah. So once you've got all your little ooblets, that then feeds back into the the Stardew Valley esque farming system because any ooblets that aren't part of your team of five that you're out doing dance battles with, you can build them a little house like on the the, the ground that you've tilled, and they'll they'll do a little farm work for you. They'll they'll walk to your plants and they'll like do all the tilling and make sure that all your plants are healthy while you go off and do dance battles. I'm seeing what looks like different protagonists. Is there character customization? Uh, there is character oh, customization, yes. Oh, fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> this one's got antlers, Laura. What do you think about that? <laughs> it's, 
it's really fucking charming. And you know why I got real sucked into this? They have two different equivalents of shiny Pokemon in this. Oh, of for course God's I sake. Got in on that. Like, I'd seen trailers of Ooblets. Yeah. And I was like, this looks cute. This looks fun. But the details you're giving me are like, ooh. The trailers were like, this looks adorable. They didn't give you any sense of what this game actually was. Just little creatures dancing about. Like, they got the, the yeah. dancing and fucking about, but I didn't know it was quite this. Just quite this lovely. I feel like their trailers undersold what made their game real cool, other than just, it's cute. But yeah, it's just a real nice... Uh, also, for the shiny Ooblet collecting, every day when the new Ooblets show up, you can look at what ones are available today, and you can see then and there if there's a shiny huh. one, so you're not just like, I'm going to go catch 4,000 Ooblets in the hopes that I get a shiny one. It's like, no, you know what, front, there's a shiny one somewhere in today's pool of 20 or whatever. Wait a minute. What? This came out ages ago. Uh, it's on Xbox One. I haven't had that plugged in in, well, since I moved to Philadelphia. It, I... It, I, I know it came to, like, Epic's store, like, this week. Oh, okay, because it says initial release date July 15th for Windows and Xbox One. Well, that's a week <gasps> ago, yeah. Well, that's today's afternoon sorted out. Yeah, so a week, a week ago. Yeah, it, it's not been out for long. Um, oh, I'm in on this. I'm in on this. Yeah, I'm going there. Yeah, there's like 40 of these creatures right now, so it's Fuck not, you know, out. the most wide selection. 40 but... still good, and you say right now... Yeah, it's early access. This oh, is the early access God. launch. It's an early access. It's, yeah... I mean, I've put like 10 hours into it and um, it's just real fucking charming. Give me a tooth! <laughs> Ooblets, give me a tooth! Oh. I want a tooth through the face! <laughs> oh. So yeah, Ooblets is worth checking out. Comical, comically exaggerated excitement aside, I, I am going to plug in the Xbox One after this recording and get it because it does sound, it sounds like it's got a lot of things that will delight me. Yeah, it's it's hitting all the, the spots I need for like, hey, I, I, I like Pokemon. I like Stardew Valley. I, I always get burned out on Stardew Valley because I need to be doing something else. Now I can do my farming and when I get burned out, I'm like, it's fine, I've got Pokemon over there to go catch and do dance battles with. Ethical Pokemon. I'll come back and farm in a minute. I like it. Yeah, I think that's everything I've played this week. Yeah. Anyone else have anything else they want to talk about? Nah. 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 No, 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 no. I guess we did it then. I think, I think we've done it. Yeah. It feels done. By Jove, I think we've done it. My brother William's coming back from the war anyway, so <laughs> I have to deal with that. <sighs> Sent the Spanish packing, he did. Oh, my midshipman brother. You can tell I've been reading Wikipedia. Look at these facts on dropping. It doesn't matter to anyone. Laura, how can people find out stuff that they would care to read and, and know about? Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Well, it's a Twitter. little bit arrogant that you went straight to yourself when I asked that question. <laughs> but carry I, on. I, I'm going to be honest, I mentally tuned out. I didn't actually hear what the question was, but the cadence suggested it was the bit where I'm supposed to talk about myself. No, I was definitely asking you the question. I just, I, I didn't say it was your stuff. And then I thought, this is a good opportunity to make someone feel bad. Ah, <laughs> oh, you got you got me. You made me feel bad. Oh, I I love you, Laura. I needed I needed help to do that today. Thanks, Jim. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm being now silly. Now I feel bad. This is it's like you, you. Oh, I served and you hit it. How the turntables have turned, Jim. The tables have turntabled <laughs> like the you worm. Can... 
You can find me at Laura K. Buzz, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. Every Friday I do accessibility. It's a video series where I talk about video game industry and accessibility and representation. I think there's a video going up this week about Pokemon Go and a bunch of the features that they said they couldn't do for the disabled community, but could do once everyone was in lockdown and, you know, that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's going up. I've got books, uncomfortable labels, things I learned from Mario's butt, gender euphoria. The first one's out now, the other one's coming out next year. Podcasts, Pixel Squirt, it's about video game porn. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, it's about stuff that isn't always video games. And Dice Funk, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Every season's a self-contained story. I am on seasons three, four, five, six, and seven with Conrad. Oh, wow. Yes, that's true. Um, you can catch me uh, on the Twitters at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitch. I'm there weekday afternoons Eastern time uh, at twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, I make anti capitalist propaganda that you can wear on your clothing or put on your other accessories and that's at pinfultruth.com and I record audiobooks that you can pick up at conradreads.com and I do some other podcasts like the spinoff doctors which we're I swear I'm actually ready to do that tomorrow Jim if you are so maybe we can schedule that mm-hmm. or maybe we both just wind up playing ooblets all day who can say we may end up yeah may end up playing Ooblets. I will be playing Ooblets one day. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you can also help me do all of that in a more sustainable fashion through Patreon. Um, I have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash fist shark. And uh, Jim, you have a Patreon too, don't you? Well, it's not so much that I have a Patreon as I am a patron of the arts. For example, <laughs> I was in Brighton just last week. Uh, overseeing work on the Royal Pavilion. But when I'm not doing that, I'm paying off my many gambling debts with patreon.com slash Inquisition. <laughs> I'm not the Prince of Wales. <laughs> it's not the 1700s slash 1800s. You just go on that Patreon if you want. Um, once again, thank you for just the ridiculous amount of mail I've been getting these past few weeks. Um, I realise we've been doing some very very difficult subjects on, on the show, and I've been very open and, and more earnest and honest about certain things and people have responded very well to that and just like I've as usual I just got to say like there's too much for me to get back to but I've I've read all of it so many of those emails start with I don't expect you to see this I saw it and thank you and thank you for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye bye